Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, June 14th, we're studying Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 14 to 27. The prophet calls upon the Lord for his healing and salvation in the face of his enemies, even as the Lord continues to give Jeremiah his word to preach, particularly in this text, his word concerning the Sabbath day. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sam Wargau. Pastor Wargau serves at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. Pastor Wargau, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Uh, thanks for having me. As we get started this morning, Pastor Wargau, let's talk a little context. What do we need to know about the prophet and his ministry and the place in the book as we go into the end of chapter 17 today? Right. Uh, I know we, we, we think of uh, Jeremiah, I think we often think of, uh, a lot of times when we think about any of the Old Testament prophets, a lot of law preaching, a lot of calling uh, the people of God to repentance in the Old Testament. And Jeremiah certainly fits this uh, this role like the other prophets of preaching repentance and faith in God alone. It's calling the people from their idolatry, from their false gods and their, their false trust. Uh, and he's calling them back. Now, Jeremiah, of course, uh, his prophecies are taking place under the divided kingdom uh, of Israel and Judah, and Israel had already fallen to Assyria in 722 BC. Jeremiah is called to be a prophet around 628, um, and, and so 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 Judah's still standing, but a lot of what Jeremiah is preaching is this upcoming uh, judgment of God uh, that kind of, uh, especially the section we're at, uh, which is going to, of course, kind of come come to fulfillment when um, when Jerusalem. Uh, Babylon, Jerusalem falls to Babylon in 587. So um, that's kind of the context as we fit this in, but we also want to kind of not miss the, uh, uh, the the forest for the trees about what this is kind of all about. Uh, and that is God's, um, really God's faithfulness to his people and in, in, uh, calling them back from their sin so that they will not die. Uh, our section really falls into that. And I, I kind of find the beginning of our pericope and particular, um, it's kind of a brush, breath of fresh air when you kind of have uh, what comes before it with with uh, the sin of Judah and a lot of law preaching, a lot of the consequences of Judah's sin. Uh, and then you have this, this uh, prayer by Jeremiah that starts off our section, uh, which is really the only answer to to both uh, the sin of Judah, but also to uh, the the trouble that Jeremiah goes through as being a prophet of God and that he has to speak these words in the face of his own people uh, and, 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 and uh, receive from them not, not a, an acceptance of his word always, but this, uh, this, this uh, uh, enmity or this strife against it. Yeah, I mean, Jeremiah, you see a lot of his highs and lows. And I, I think that the beginning of our section today is one of his highs, as opposed to, say, back in chapter 15, toward the end of that chapter, there you have some of Jeremiah's lows, a lot less hopeful, it seems, there in Jeremiah 15. For example, verse 18 of that chapter, why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? That that language he's going to pick up again here in 17 in a much more hopeful way, I think. And it's, I mean, what I find comforting about that is to see in Jeremiah the just the Christian experience. This is what we all go through where we have moments where we are filled with a lot of hope from the word of God and then moments where we're not feeling that much hope. And you see Jeremiah go through that same full range that we go through as well. Right, exactly. And that's why it's so wonderful to have uh, St. Jeremiah as one of those great cloud of witnesses, one of the great clouds, one of those saints in the great clouds of witnesses that we see his faith and we see his word through the uh, through the various uh, struggles and trials and also joys. And I also see that Jeremiah parallels a lot of the Psalms, which I think is why uh, the Psalms are so comforting to Christians. They are the word of God and they're a word of God that speaks to our joys and to our sorrows, to our frustrations and to our triumphs. And uh, 
uh, all the while pointing us to where we find that ultimate hope in Christ, which is where Jeremiah is finding his hope as well. So our text today, Jeremiah 17, verses 14 to 27, I think breaks down pretty neatly into two sections. You've got this prayer of Jeremiah at the beginning, and then the word that the Lord gives to Jeremiah to preach. So I'm going to go ahead and read just the first part of it today for us to to look at. This is Jeremiah praying, again, beginning at verse 14, Jeremiah 17. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Behold, they say to me, Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. I have not run away from being your shepherd, nor have I desired the day of sickness. You know what came out of my lips. It was before your face. Be not a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let those be put to shame who persecute me, but let me not be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but let me not be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. That was Jeremiah 17, verses 14 to 18. The first part of our text today, Jeremiah's prayer. Verse 14, and we've already talked a little bit about this, Pastor Workout. Jeremiah prays for healing and salvation, echoing words that we heard him complain about earlier in, in more of a lament. Here we've got the more hopeful side. What's Jeremiah? How does he begin this prayer? Right. I think that's really important to see. Uh, we, we heard these words earlier in dealing with lament, and lament is only answered by uh, uh, faith in, in God and what he can accomplish and what he can do. Uh, and I think it's just a beautiful way to kind of see the great confession that, that, that Jeremiah uh, has here. And, and it follows up, like I said, it, it follows up from a really hard word. And, and he's praying here, uh, the couple verses before this, or the verse before this, I should say 13, when he says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. And, and and that's a he's not actually asking for anything there. He's just making that that declaration. I mean, we do this in our colics as well, where we simply just describe what Scripture says about God, the truth of who God is, the uh, the indicative, as opposed to the as as opposed to the petitioning. And so he's he's kind of declared this about the Lord that those um, uh, who forsake you are going to be put to shame because really he's the only source of of life. And then to make that great confession with the prayer that he that he goes forth and saying these things, uh, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. And, and those, of course, like we said, we've we've heard them before, but but it's really important to kind of even just parse out what that is, what he's talking about. And I think uh, the, the idea of healing here is really neat. Uh, of course, healing means that you need to be healed from something. There's some sickness or or wound. Uh, and ultimately, of course, we know that sickness to be to be sin and to be death, uh, which is exactly what Jeremiah is declaring about God. Apart from him, uh, those who forsake him are put to shame because the only healing can come from him. And I think it's really interesting comparing this idea of healing uh, to what the false prophets had uh, had promised uh had promised God's people, had promised Judah. Uh, in particular, I'm thinking Jeremiah 6.14, uh, where uh, uh, concerning the false prophets we hear, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So the false prophets are offering a, f- a false healing or a light healing uh, because, and the problem is, is because they're not actually diagnosing what the, the sickness is. I mean, we know this. You can't you can't actually heal somebody if you don't know what's wrong with them. That's what you know. Jesus says uh, in the Gospels, right? That that the, the um, he had come not to not to um, save the righteous, but sinners or those who uh, are well don't need a physician, and those who are sick uh, are but those who are sick and have not called come to call the righteous, but sinners. Uh, but so so you have to know what the sickness is. And so the false prophets are saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So they're actually not offering that healing. Yet God is the one who properly diagnoses the sickness with his word of law. Uh, And so God's prophets properly diagnose the sickness with the word of law. And it's God alone who can offer that true healing. Um, That's not light, but it's it's a complete healing. As he says there, heal me and I I will be healed. It's it's a given. This is what can I, not I might, but I will be healed of this. 
Yeah, I mean, this thought of healing goes also into the end of Jeremiah chapter eight, where he's looking for a balm from Gilead. This, I mean, you know, this this idea of sin as a sickness, needing the Lord's healing, that is prominent in Jeremiah. The, the idea too that this exile that's coming and there's going to be need for healing in the midst of that, that's a, a part of this as well. And so Jeremiah here prays for healing. And then in parallel, because this is how Hebrew poetry often works, you get one statement and then something that's parallel to it in the next. After heal me comes save me. What's that prayer? Right. So so the idea of, 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 of salvation, uh, of being rescued from something. Now, now we, we can think of salvation from our enemies for sure. And, and of course, we're going to see this play out for Israel as they're going to be conquered. But but ultimately what, what the salvation that is needed, the ultimate big thing is the salvation from sin. Uh, and this this idea of salvation uh, is is big, of course, in the Old Testament and then in the Psalms. Um, but but if we think of the Hebrew word for salvation, of course, we know that that's uh, Yeshua uh, or like Joshua from 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 the pen, uh, from the from the Old Testament. And then uh, uh, meaning salvation or, or Yahweh saves. And of course, we transfer this to the or look at this in light of the New Testament with the name of our Lord being Jesus, especially with Matthew's uh, recording of the angel's message to Joseph when he says, uh, don't fear to take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you will name, name him Jesus for he will save his people. And not only will he save his people, but what's he saving them from? He will save uh, his people from their sins. So this idea of salvation is not simply being rescued from uh, uh, foreign enemies or being rescued from uh, captors, but to be rescued from that which truly imprisons us, and that is that is sin and, and death. Uh, I think in this regard, regard too, the importance of uh, of our understanding, both for Jeremiah and for us, of the forgiveness of sins and how, how Luther puts those things together, for example, with, with the small catechism on the Lord's Supper, uh, for he says, well, really with, with baptism too, but I think of the Lord's Supper because because he puts there, he says, where there is forgiveness of sins, there's also life and salvation. And the idea that the forgiveness of sins is the source of life, life and salvation, and, and that apart from the forgiveness of sins, you, you're not actually saved. <laughs> you're not actually, uh, God, God saves through the forgiveness of sins by virtue of the death of Christ and distributed through his word and his sacraments. And that's, that's the salvation that God gives you, not only here in time, but for eternity. But I think, too, in, in context with Jeremiah, this healing and salvation for which he's praying also it includes a prayer for the Lord to keep Jeremiah faithful in that salvation in the midst of the enemies that he is facing. And at the moment of Jeremiah 17, the enemies aren't Yet Babylon, that, I mean, I think this prayer will fit for the people when they are in exile in Babylon, but for Jeremiah at the moment, and this will come up as we get into verse 15, he needs this healing and salvation in the midst of those who are persecuting him right now, who don't want to hear what he has to say, who who want nothing to do with the Lord and his word, who would rather just stick with the false prophets and that light peace that they have to offer. That That's what they want. And, and a prayer like this for Jeremiah is a, a prayer to, to say to the Lord, keep me faithful, keep me in your healing and your salvation when all around me are people who are trying to draw me into a false gospel, into a false word. Right. And that kind of enemy of the faith is the hardest, I think, right? I mean, we can think of Babylon or Assyria and those foreign enemies with their false gods. I mean, these weren't God's people, but Jeremiah's audience is those whom God had called, right? Uh, those who have been given the promise and, and, and of the Messiah and, and, and to be called as God's chosen people, and they had completely abandoned that. And, and so they're much closer to him than Babylon or Assyria in that they're his kinsmen, right? They're his, his fellow, um, uh, uh, fellow people of God, but they had, they had abandoned that. They had uh, abandoned the Lord for their for their false gods and for their idols and, and completely forsaken his word and his, his command. Before we leave that first part of the prayer, Jeremiah says, for you are my 
praise. That may strike us as a, a slightly unusual way to speak to God. What does it mean to say to the Lord, you are my praise? Yeah, and this isn't uh, completely uncommon. This, uh, Jeremiah is not the only one who uses this. So Deuteronomy 10.21 says, He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Uh, yeah, it's not normally how we speak, but we do speak of praise, which I think is important. We talk about praising God. Uh, when we talk about praising God or when we talk about God as our praise, we need to understand that true praise is what acknowledges the, the work of, of salvation, God's work of salvation. That's how, that's how we praise God. That's how the Old Testament people praise God. That's how the church praises God, uh, by acknowledging and confessing his, his work of salvation. So to say, for you are my praise, it, it just follows right along from this, heal me, O Lord, for I shall be healed. Save me, for I shall be saved. Uh, because for you are my praise. That is, you are my God, and I trust in you because of your word and your promises to me. And, and that you are God, you are the faithful, and this is first commandment stuff, right? Uh, this is, uh, God says, trust me, and we respond, amen, to that. Now, Jeremiah offers this prayer again in the midst of his enemies, those who are persecuting him for preaching the word of the Lord faithfully, and he quotes what they're saying. This is what they're saying to Jeremiah. Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. And as I was reading this text in preparation for our conversation, I was very much reminded of the study that we just finished in Second Peter chapter 3, where the apostle Peter talks about how there are people who will mock in the last days. Look, God's not going to do anything. He hasn't come yet. Jesus made his promise, but he hasn't fulfilled it. He's never going to come. Sounds like that, what Peter writes down is the, the accusation Christians face today. Sounds like Jeremiah was facing that in the 600s BC. Right, exactly. Nothing changes, does it, right? Uh, and this is the sinful, hardened heart, right? Uh, it refuses uh, to, to believe and trust in God because what it sees before its eyes is, is not uh, uh, proof enough for it, right? And this actually does remind me too, I think, I think that Jeremiah and the Peter can also be seen uh, in the second Peter text can be seen through the light of, uh, through the light of uh, uh, Jesus' ministry and how many times the Jews are demanding signs from him, right? If you are the Christ, then show us. Even though he actually had been performing signs and and they re still refuse to believe him. And the ultimate sign he gives, he says, is is the sign of Jonah, right? That's the that's the sign that, that he's going to give. He's going to die. He's going to be buried and he's going to rise again, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Um, and but but that's the hardness of the of the of the of the. Uh, unbelief, the hardness of heart of the unbelief, and or as Jeremiah will talk about the stiff neck, right? It's the idea that uh, uh, th that these things are 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 in fact hidden from us, and so these people refuse to believe. Um, so so this profession of unbelief, I really do think that this is kind of this accusation that that we have in Jeremiah. I think we see it also in Isaiah, Isaiah five nineteen. Uh, talks about the people saying, let him be quick, let him speed his work that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and let it come that we may know it. This idea that show us, like, you know, this, prove it to us. Uh, when really God works um, uh, in hidden means and in hidden ways, I should say, not, not, not talking about the hidden God, but we're talking about how God accomplishes his purposes veiled in the humble things uh, that, that don't to the world seem like power or might, but we see such as in Christ crucified, that there is the, there is the power of God uh, and the wisdom of God for us. Uh, and so, so again, back to what Jeremiah says or what even, what even uh, we have in second Peter with the scoffing, it, it's the idea that this is what the preacher, either Jeremiah in the old Testament or Peter or the preachers today are up against. We're up against an audience that's going to refuse to hear us and is going to instead say, uh, uh, you know, this is this. I don't see this happening. This is this is uh, foolishness uh, because where is the evidence that this takes place? But the preacher relies not upon his current situation for him or for his his audience, but on the words and promises of God, which are even more sure than our than our current situation. I really think that this is where lament comes in for the faithful because this this matter of the lord speaking something in his word and then our eyes not observing it 
that happens to the faithful as well. But but the difference between the faithful and the unbeliever when it comes to this, I hear God's word, but I don't see it. The faithful respond to that with lament, which is what Jeremiah does. For example, you know, in chapter 15, which we were talking about earlier, or in chapter 12, he does the same thing where he says, you know, why do the wicked prosper? A question that gets asked throughout the scriptures. So when the faithful see the world not matching up with what they hear from the Lord's word, they lament. What the unbelieving world does is they scoff and they say, ha, you're, you're Lord. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Where, where, Where's the proof? And I think, I mean, I think that really, at least for me, you know, cause lament is not something we're always very good at in our world today as Christians, mm-hmm. but I think that that comparison helps me put lament back into its rightful place for our lives as Christians. Yeah, that's a wonderful observation. I really like that. Um, it, it, it really is, does show the difference between faith and unbelief and how faith responds different to seemingly the same situation, right? The fact that evil triumphs, the fact that that God doesn't appear to be very powerful or to be doing anything in the world. Uh, but the Christian responds in faith, which trusts God's word. And so lament is actually kind of that flip side where it's like, I believe you, God, but I'm not seeing it. Right. But I still believe you. Uh, whereas unbelief, which doesn't take God at his word, which doesn't believe his word or promises can simply just say, well, there, there is no God or this God is, is not powerful or cannot do these things. Yeah. Very good. Very good point. Well, and, and then, I mean, and that's where the false preachers come in with that false gospel, peace, peace, when there is no peace, but it, it sounds good. It, it looks like it's real. You know, look, we've got the temple. Everything's okay. That was what, what they were saying in chapter seven, mm-hmm. but it but it doesn't actually give the healing. It doesn't give the salvation that the Lord alone can give. That's that's verse 14. Let's let's keep moving through this prayer from, from Jeremiah. In verse 16, Jeremiah begins to describe his own ministry, it sounds like, reminding the Lord, this is what I've done. I've done what you've said. Is that is that what he's getting at in verse 16? Yeah, I think it's a lot to that, that Jeremiah is, and I don't think he's like being brash or arrogant, but he's just confessing he's been faithful, right? I mean, this is important important to what Jeremiah's work has been. He says, I haven't abandoned this. I, I, I've not run away from uh, from being your, your shepherd, right? To profit as a shepherd or I've not desired the day of sickness. That is, Jeremiah is doing what God had called him to do in the first chapter, right? What had God called him to do? To preach, uh, to, 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 to preach repentance to the people. And, and Jeremiah's confession is, I've, I've been faithful to this. Um, and actually, it's really interesting. Uh, I came across this when I was studying this, and I had no idea that the Septuagint's a little different here, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, and that it says something to the effect of, and um, my Greek's sometimes a little rusty and I didn't print out the English, uh, uh, I have not uh, uh, ceased following you, I have not become weary, I should say, not become wearied of following after you, which you can kind of see a relationship to that. And, and I think it does speak does speak a truth where, where uh, well, Jeremiah sounds like he had been weary, but the fact is, is that he had been faithful, right? It hadn't been easy and he hadn't given the people what they wanted to hear but when all said and done what god had called him to do was to be faithful to be a faithful shepherd um and he had continued in that not running away uh uh from the sheep but being a shepherd to the sheep uh and and i think interesting too uh, and maybe you got some thoughts on this too i was really trying to parse out this idea of i don't desire the day of sickness and what that possibly means I I'm not positive myself that I haven't desired. I don't I don't think he's he's saying I didn't ask for a sick day because <laughs> that's, right. that's a that's a modern thought. But I mean that's what popped into my head initially. Because I don't think that's what he's saying. I it, maybe you know maybe nor have I desired the day of sickness. This was the the only thought that I I could come up with was was perhaps you know you hear Jeremiah lamenting throughout this book at times lamenting because the people are so sinful and he just, you know, he, he can't stand the idolatry and sin that's all around him. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he laments the fate that he knows is coming upon the Jerusalem and Judah because the Babylonians are coming. And you get these, you know, just terrible pictures of what that's going to be like throughout the book. And and I wonder if maybe that's, that's what he's saying here. I don't, I didn't desire the day of sickness. In other words, I, 
I'm not preaching your word, O Lord, because I want these people to be destroyed in some sort of sadistic way. I'm preaching faithfully, but it's not that I've desired their destruction and desired them not to repent. That's that's the way that I think about it. And I think it parallels well then the shepherd thing, because what shepherd desires sickness or destruction for his sheep, right? Now we know it's going to happen. And, 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 and I think it is distinct from when Isaiah is going to call up here in just a little bit, you know, I'd let my persecutors be put to shame. Yes. We'll talk more about that here in just a second. But, but the ultimate desire of the shepherd, the ultimate desire of the prophet is the desire of God and the God does not desire the destruction of, of his people. Uh, he doesn't desire the day of sickness, but that all would turn from their sinful ways and live. So I think you're right. I think that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I think it that's the best that I can do, and I think it fits with what you see from Jeremiah elsewhere in this book. We're going to finish his prayer here on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO, talking the end of Jeremiah 17 with Pastor Sam Wergo. We'll take that short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, June 14th. We're studying Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 14 to 27 with Pastor Sam Wergau. He serves at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. Pastor Wergau, prior to the break, we were looking at Jeremiah's prayer at the opening part of our text today, and we left off in verse 17. Jeremiah prays, Be not a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. There are times where in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet makes it sound like the Lord is a terror to him. Here again, he's praying in a very hopeful way, asking the Lord to be his refuge, which is what he needs. Right, exactly. Uh, this beautiful language of, 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 of uh, the Lord being being a refuge is paralleled greatly in the Psalms. We find that find that quite a bit. Um, you know, in the previous chapter, Jeremiah confessed something similar, um, uh, and and Jeremiah was re- rejoicing to see the coming when when uh, uh, he, he was he was looking for a time when. God would be uh, his strength. So this is 16, I'm sorry, 16, 19, where he says, O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble. To you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. Can man make for himself gods? Such are not gods, right? So he's he's looking for, for uh, uh, God to be his strength, praying for this. Uh, and this also reminded me of Psalm 46, which, of course, is where we get the hymnic version, Luther's hymnic version of A Mighty Fortress, um, when we talk about God being our, our refuge or our rock. Um, and I think you do really see some wonderful parallels between Jeremiah's plight and what he's going through and, the, and his work that he was doing and, and really the and what that hymn what that hymn further confesses. Uh, and, and so the idea here is that, yeah, that the prayer is that God would be a refuge to him and ultimately because he can't find refuge in, in anything else. Uh, uh, he, he's come to preach uh, against the idolatry, against the false gods. Uh, and we understand, you know, we understand gods as those things that we look to as for our rock or our refuge um, apart from uh, the words and promises of God. So, so I think that's neat to kind of see that, uh, what, what, what also then follows forward after this too, and I think these things go hand in hand, is the idea that God, he prays for God to be his refuge. He says, you are my refuge in the day of disaster. And then he goes on to speak of um, um, all these enemies uh, uh, that are set up against him, right? And then this is another very thematic thing with the Psalms where you have uh, the desire for, for uh, those which persecute or dishonor to be put to shame. Uh, like Psalm 35, 4 or Psalm 40, 14. Uh, the idea that God would would actually uh, uh, 
judge that and, and put that to shame, vindicate, right? Vengeance is the Lord's. And that's what, that's what Jeremiah is praying for here, that, that he be given justice against his accusers. And, and, and I think in part, we see that fulfilled uh, with Babylon, Babylon's capture of Jerusalem. God uses these foreign powers to enact his judgment upon an idolat- idolat- idolatrous people. Uh, and um, I think we certainly, we do see what Jeremiah is praying for kind of come to pass uh, but there's even like, I think a bigger picture to this, that, that, that the Christian's prayer is that evil be frustrated and, and stopped and that we be delivered from evil, such as we pray in the, in the sixth and the seventh petition of the Lord's prayer. Hmm. And I think the way that you hold that prayer in verse 18 together with what we were talking about, this not desiring the day of sickness or Jeremiah's, you know, lament for the people is that it's up to the Lord to do the vindicating and and to bring about the end of the evil. And sometimes the end of the evil is that the Lord actually converts your enemies and and yeah. makes them Christians alongside you. Which you know Jonah had a problem with that. That's right, if you want to right. talk more about that. Or or the the older brother in the mm-hmm. the parable of the two lost sons in Luke fifteen. He had a problem with that too. But I think that's how you hold those two things together. Being able to pray on the one hand, Lord, I I don't want to see any one parish and at the same time say, Lord, vindicate me in the face of my enemies. I think that's, that's how you hold that together. Yeah, no, that's perfect. I think that's a great example of how, how you kind of, and it is, it is the Christian to have the same desire that God has, right? Uh, The Lord hates evil, uh, but he does not desire the death of a sinner. Right. And so I think, uh, you know, uh, we talk about God's um, uh, alien work uh, and his proper work. Uh, And so I think, yeah, that ties it together as well. Yeah. Let's take a look at the rest of our text. Jeremiah receives another word from the Lord, beginning at verse 19 in Jeremiah chapter 17. Thus said the Lord to me, go and stand in the people's gate by which the kings of Judah enter and by which they go out and in all the gates of Jerusalem and say, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah, and all Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, who enter by these gates. Thus says the Lord, Take care for the sake of your lives, and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day, or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. And do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath, or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy, as I commanded your fathers. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck, that they might not hear and receive instruction. But if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring in no burden by the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it, then there shall enter by the gates of this city kings and princes who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their officials, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall be inhabited forever. And the people shall come from the cities of Judah and the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin and from the Shephelah, from the hill country and from the Negev, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and frankincense, and bringing thank offerings to the house of the Lord. But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and not to bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. That's the end of our text for today. That was Jeremiah 17, 19 to 27. Pastor Wargau, again, the Lord speaks to Jeremiah. We've seen this throughout the book, and he gives him a specific place to go stand. In the first couple of verses, there's the, the setting for this preaching of Jeremiah. Where is he supposed to do it, and why is that significant? Yeah, so he's been told uh, to be... Uh, to position himself at the people's gate, uh, and um, so this is a this is a public place, and he t- tells us even more. This is the uh, the way by which the kings of Judah enter, and by which they go out, uh, and in all the gates of Jerusalem. So not only the people's gates, but to be to be public at all the gates. That is those places of of uh, uh, of movement, the public places. This isn't something. This is a public proclamation, and I think it also ties in to when he's going to talk about the burdens and the Sabbath is the idea that, uh, uh, that the people are bringing, uh, 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 bringing the burdens in by the gates of Jerusalem. Right. It, so this is the preaching, um, uh, against the people's sins, uh, violations of the Sabbath 
in the places that they are doing it. Uh, if that makes sense, that, that perhaps even while they're doing it, right? So Jeremiah preaches on the Sabbath while the people are, are in the midst of this bearing their burdens so that the people see it. So that, I mean, the ultimate point here is the idea that they're without excuse. They they have no excuse. They know that they've sinned and and God through Jeremiah is calling the people then then to repentance. And not only in the people, it's interesting, the audience that Jeremiah has. Um, hear the word of the Lord. You kings of Judah starts with them, right? The rulers of the people. That is the the, the people who have the, uh, not only the civil authority over this nation, but have the responsibility as kings of Judah for the spiritual, you know, uh, uh, well-being of the people and to, to serve as, as an example of that uh, in, in their rule. But not only the kings, all of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that is that the, the specific place that that, um, that that Jeremiah is preaching to. So, so kind of the broadness of this audience all need to hear this. All those who enter these gates, uh, they need to hear uh, at this point specifically this word concerning uh, the Lord's Sabbath. The preaching that Jeremiah is given does revolve around the Sabbath. That's the subject matter for this sermon that he is to give very publicly at the people's gate. Just as a, a way of refresher, Pastor Wargau, what is what's the third commandment all about? This remember the Sabbath day, right? I think this is really. Uh, I think sometimes we we see this Sabbath. Uh, we, we if we know you know we know the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Sanctify the day of rest, uh, or however you learned it in that sense. And I think sometimes we can draw a conclusion that this commandment seems rather arbitrary uh, other than it comes from the Lord. I mean, of course we don't think that it's arbitrary, but, but this idea of, but I think the people do, because this is why you see it so easily broken uh, resting on a day, right? What, what does that mean? And why does that, uh, why does God command this sort of thing? But ultimately God does give reasons for having this, this commandment as he gives it in, um, in the uh, in the Pentateuch, right? So when you have it in Exodus twenty, when God's giving the law at Mount Sinai, uh, this is uh, it, it's really neat when you read through Exodus twenty if you if you haven't in a while because it's really neat because we might know the Ten Commandments, but when we read them in the context of Exodus twenty, I think they shed so much light on it even further because you start off with especially with the first four commandments, but especially the first three, a lot of detail regarding them and reasons for this. So when you get to the third commandment, you have remember the Sabbath day. This is Exodus 28 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And then he goes, oh, let's say, on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Then he gives a further commentary explanation about why this why we're remembering the Sabbath. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So in Exodus 20, that's drawing our attention back to, to the Lord who created all things, who gave us all these good earthly gifts, who created all things and still sustains all things. This, this first article kind of confession here. And that God who did all of that in six days by his word, then also blesses the Sabbath day and makes it holy by himself resting on it. And I think we have a neat connection to we see why the Sabbath, one of the reasons I think why the Sabbath is broken in its relation to God's providence and God's creation. But then in Deuteronomy 5, uh, you have, of course, Deuteronomy being the uh, literally the second law that is God reiterating his law to his people before they are going to enter into the promised land. And, and of course, we have the Ten Commandments reiterated again. Deuteronomy 5.12, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. And then you go to 15, it says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. So, so not only was Israel to keep the Sabbath because of creation, but they were also to keep the Sabbath because of redemption as a reminder that God rescued them and redeemed them from the land of Egypt where they were slaves so that now they keep the Sabbath uh, as the Lord has commanded it because they have been redeemed for that very purpose. Um, and of course that's the old Testament and that's kind of a, a 
look at this, and of course, this is what the people of, of, of Judah that Jeremiah is preaching to, they had that same word, right? They had the Sabbath, and God is, or Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah is calling them back to that. So, I mean, if I can summarize that, then, with this matter, because I think this is a very important insight to recognize the two reasons that are given for the Sabbath day in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. The, the reason for not working, when you, when you took that day off from work, it was a reminder that it was not your work that created you, that was God's work. And when you took that day off from working, it was also a reminder that it was not your work that saved you. That too was God's work. Both of, I mean, that, that quite literal taking a break from physical labor was meant as a bigger reminder than, than just, okay, I get a day off, but it was meant to tell you, you didn't create yourself. You didn't save yourself. God did that for you. And so to put that then in Jeremiah's context, when he's watching these people going in and out of this gate with all these burdens, doing work on the Sabbath day in blatant disregard for what God has said, what he's he's telling them is, you're not just missing out on a day of rest, but you're missing out on the gifts of God in creation and salvation. Exactly, exactly. It's a first commandment issue, not just a third commandment issue, right? Uh, they're, they're not trusting God. They're not um, uh, not only just blatantly disobeying his word or the blatant idolatry, but they are turning their trust and their faith to another thing by forgetting who God is as their creator and their savior. Um, and, and that's that's the, the, the huge significance why God's calling them back to this. The Sabbath, uh, uh, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And, and, and this is really important for us to understand this as we kind of go forward, both for Jeremiah and our audience today as well, because I think he really does pick up on this when he says um, this idea of bearing the burdens on the Sabbath. So this isn't just any particular work that Jeremiah is hitting on or the Lord is hitting on. It is this bearing of burdens. And, and I think that this really does relate to the idea that they were doing this work for their self, for themselves, that is for their, for their greed. Uh, uh, and, and so, um, one commentator talked about this, their failure to keep the Sabbath was a symptom of their deep rooted greed and lack of respect for the Lord. So not only are they not respecting his commandments, but why are they doing it? And this idea of bearing the burdens, that means commerce, that means market. That means it's another day to, to be, to, to, to take care of myself instead of God taking care of me through, through his word. Uh, and I think that's always kind of, I think that's really significant even for our understanding of course we understand the sabbath fulfilled in christ today and we understand the third commandment as uh not despising preaching in his word but holding it sacred and gladly hearing and learning it very similar to to exodus 20 and deuteronomy 5 but very much more fulfilled and clearer as we see it in uh putting aside the work we do so that god works in us to summarize luther's 10 commandments hymn um but, but that idea, that idea of greed being being the thing that drives us away from remembering the Sabbath day. I mean, this really hit uh, for me when you kind of just consider looking at myself as well, but looking at why people don't go to church, right? Why people neglect hearing God's word. And and I know sometimes it's just because people are lazy, right? Um, and they're, they, they're not doing anything on that day. That's their day off. Uh, uh, and sometimes it, you know, Luther also talks in the large catechism about those people who go, but they're not listening. They're not, they're not, you know, hearing what God's word actually, actually says. But I think we find so easy the excuse in our society in general, uh, but even within our families and such, we find this excuse that we almost kind of legitimize as an excuse for not attending to the preaching of God's word uh, or the receiving of his gifts because of, because of employment or, or because of uh, uh, yeah, because of work, and, and of course we understand people need jobs and they need to work. But what we need to understand is that your job is not as important as the Sabbath, and uh, that is, it's not as important as the preaching of God's word and the receiving of the forgiveness of sins. Uh, and we must be on guard, just like Jeremiah had to preach about these people bearing the burdens about despising God's word. Uh, simply for employment or jobs or those kind of earthly security. Now, we might not think that greedy in the fact that we're trying to like, you know, get rich or things like that, but but it is, again, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It's a first commandment issue. And 
Jeremiah's words should strike to us too, uh, uh, as we consider our lives in relationship to God and his word uh, and our, um, and how we approach this understanding of the Sabbath. And the third commandment has a lot of room for all of us to repent in a variety of ways. And it amazes me when you look at the Sabbath day throughout the scriptures, the variety of ways that we find to break that commandment. In Jeremiah 17, the way that it's being broken is, is quite literally, they're, they're actually doing physical labor that they should not be doing on the Sabbath day. But then, you know, fast forward to Jesus' day, and you have the Pharisees who get upset at Jesus for, I mean, it's picking heads of grain, but they, you know, he's, he's doing work. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, well, you're in the wrong now. And you see another way to break the Sabbath day is by making it, again, all about my work. Ah, look at what a great thing I did by taking the day off. God loves me because I took the day off. And you, again, you've, you've made it about your work rather than resting in who God is as your creator and your redeemer. Right. And, and so for us still today, like, like you said, there's, there's so many ways that we can break this commandment, whether it is out of laziness or a matter of greed or a matter of, of going through the motions ourselves. I was, I was in church, pastor. What are you, what are you saying? I need to actually listen. <laughs> I, I need to sing. I need to right. participate. Right. Come on. I was there. Wasn't that enough? I mean, it, all of this is just to say, it's, it's amazing to me how many ways we sinners can break this commandment and what great need there is for all of us to repent at this word from the Lord. Right, exactly. And just to be fair, because the law speaks to all people, even the pastor who's preaching That's right. <laughs> breaks the That's Sabbath right. day. I mean, uh, you know, preachers need to be preaching first to themselves, I think, in all things. But uh, but yeah, yeah, it's easy for us to say, well, you should have been in church. But we also know that we are we are just as guilty, which is why we need continual to need the call to repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Exactly. That's right. right. The pastor, the pastor, pastor preaches to himself first. That's, that's what he needs to do at least Lord, Lord grant it. Yes, Yes, for sure. Now, Pastor Wergau, in one of the things that stands out in this text is that there is a, a note of hope that the people might actually change. There's lots of times in Jeremiah where you get the feeling that Jeremiah is going to preach, but he has no expectation that the people will do anything. But here there is a word which reminds me a little bit of the close of yeah. the commandments yeah. in the catechism, as mm-hmm. we, we say it, that the Lord promises blessing to those who keep the commandments. Right. Yeah. And, and here the Lord gives his people a picture of, if you do this, this is what life will be like. This is verses 24 to, to 27. And just as a, a way of warning, we've got about five and a half minutes here. So to take us into this last part of the text. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I think, um, yeah, it's really important for us to see, you know, he, when he starts it off, he says, um, which part does he say that I lost the words there? Take care for the sake of your lives. So, I mean, God promises a, a blessing, right? Uh, so so you know, there's the threat for those who break this commandment, but he promises this blessing upon his people who keep the, the commandment. Uh, and, and and that blessing is the furtherance of, of his kingdom. Uh, and, and that is that that uh, that the city will be will be um, be spared in that sort of sense, and actually not only just spared, but it will flourish, and that God's name will be praised because of it, and that the worship in the temple, God's presence with His people, will continue. Um, and, and and you're right, you're very right in bringing up the close of the commandments, because I think what does God say about all of these commandments? Well, you have the threatening of punishment, right, for those who break the commandments, which Jeremiah has laid out. But we also must be aware that there is the promise of grace and every blessing for those who keep the commandments. Uh, that is, there is there is reward. And, and, and sometimes that is temporal reward, I think, right? You know, so you have this sense that, I mean, none of us keep the commandments perfectly, but um, uh, if, you, if you're faithful to your spouse, you know, chances are you'll have a good marriage. Or you think about uh, the fourth commandment in particular, right? Uh, uh, that... Um, uh, that that uh, those who honor their father and their mother will live long upon the land that, and that the Lord God is giving them. That generally things go well if, if you listen to your parents or other authorities, right? You're not in jail, you're not in trouble. Uh, not always the case, right? But generally, so that there is there is temporary reward that kind of goes with the keeping of the law. But we also know that none of us keeps the law and that none of us are deserving even with our obedience to the law of any of these good things from God, which is why we look actually to the one who did perfectly keep the law 
and who is our righteousness, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Sabbath, right? Uh, and, and it's by him and by his grace and his mercy, which is why Luther puts it in there, um, uh, promises grace and every blessing, right? That, that this idea that all grace and blessing are focused and found uh, not in our obedience, which are like filthy rags, but are found in the obedience of Christ and his righteousness for us. Therefore, God does bless us and God continues to give us his commandments uh, now uh, for our good and even for our joy in, in, the, uh, in the guiding us in the good works that we, are, that we are called to do, not for our salvation, but in faith to God and in fervent love to one another. Pastor Borgo, with just about three minutes left on the morning, any final thoughts on this section of Jeremiah 17? Help us to to see how Jeremiah is preaching Christ for us. Right, exactly. I mean, we always want to see these things kind of uh, ultimately fulfilled in Christ. We put our Jesus glasses on, not only in understanding the Sabbath, which we certainly rightly do, and God's reason even in Exodus and, and throughout the Old Testament of of giving and, and maintaining the Sabbath as fulfilled in Christ, but also even when we talk about uh, the healing and the deliverance and the salvation of the Lord and the, being the rock of refuge. Now, Isaiah in his time is called to preach to a stiff neck and a stubborn people who have rejected God and his promises. Now, I think we always need to understand when Judah's rejecting God and his promises, that means they're rejecting that word of God, including that word concerning the Messiah, that word concerning Christ as the Savior of the world. So this is not simply that, that Judah doesn't keep the rules, uh, but that they had gone after false gods, especially, and, and those false gods that could not save them. And ultimately those false gods, uh, which um, did not give the promise of the salvation of the world through the seed of the woman, through the Messiah. And God's calling them to repentance. And then ultimately God's enacting of the judgment, uh, the uh, uh, destruction of, of Jerusalem and the exile to Babylon is all to serve the purpose of calling the people to repentance for the sake of Christ, preserving the remnant, preserving the seed, so that uh, Christ would come as the savior of the world, for both for the people of, of Israel and Judah, and really for, for all of mankind. Pastor Sam Wergau is the pastor at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana, helping us today with Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 14 to 27. Pastor Wergau, thanks for being our guest today. Oh, good to be here. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Jeremiah, any comments on this series, we would love to hear from you. Send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or download the KFUO app on your mobile device and you can use the open mic feature there to send up to a 60-second message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.